six <clears throat> sounds sounds pivotal for some reason. With me tonight is Gary. How are you doing, Gary? Oh, doing well, Phil. Doing well. How are you, sir? Uh, fighting off like this really bad allergy attack. Who would have thought February? I was just trying to be nice. I didn't really want to know. I just fair enough. Okay. That, that's good. Thanks. Good. Good yeah, friend. No problem. Yeah. Good, friend. good friend. Good radio. Yeah. Good radio. Good radio. Okay. And also with me is Darren. You How belong you in a museum. He's the youngest one here. <laughs> I am. Oh boy. Sorry. 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 Strong gentleman. Oh man. Everyone, everyone doing okay? It's feels like it's been a while, but it really hasn't been, huh? No, not really. <clears throat> Only been a couple weeks. I can tell our energy is exactly where it was last month. Yes, yes, sir. Not uh, we'll, we'll get there. We just gotta hit the ground running. And I think that if we actually get hit the ground running while talking about some things that happened while we were away. We might get a little more excited. I agree. I agree. That's a fantastic idea. I agree. And uh, I'm going to be brief on this one because while we were away, finally, some concrete evidence, some a full trailer and gameplay for Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. I'm not going to say too much else because someone is going to sit down with me this month and I want to do a full breakdown of everything that was announced. I don't know who that's going to be. Phil already pushed out on me. Um, oh, so, whoa. <laughs> um, but uh, I feel like, to, to me, this is, as I said back in the summer, it, I wondered if Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was the last movie I looked forward to and anticipated the way I looked used to look forward anticipated movies, maybe more than anything else. And I wonder now if Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is the last video game that I will really have marked on my calendar, know when it's coming out, you know, be really excited about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to do with it, to be honest with you. Um, I thought it looked fantastic. Um, I thought the actor Troy Baker, I don't know if you guys listened to his voiceover, boy, does he sound like Harrison Ford. Um, so... I'm excited for it, so hopefully sometime later this month, maybe I'll rope Gary into this afterwards here, and I want to do a full breakdown of this game, but I'm pretty sure this is not on his radar. So, And th this has been on your... Uh, you've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Yes. I mean, it was, this is a great circle, but a Indiana Jones game. Yes, it was announced in 2021, and all we got was oh, in January okay. 2021. Well, that was a long time ago for a game. We didn't get anything. We got a, we got a, Indiana Jones's desk, presumably, a map's... The obligatory shot of the whip and the hat, but that was it. Um, and then nothing until uh, two weeks ago on January 18th, as we record this on February 1st. Um, and that was it. We, we, we finally, it was like we got nothing, nothing. Like no announcements, no rumors, no, no concept art. It was nothing. And then they revealed the entire thing. I'm, you're right though, Gary. It was on, it was routinely, I think. The previous three years, it was both times it was in my top five for what you're looking forward to, and then I bumped it all the way down to I think it was ten or nine this past year because there was still nothing out. <laughs> so then, but as soon as we posted, but it's funny, by the time we posted um, the second part of our what you're looking forward to, everything was out. So anyway, I'm excited for it. But in more video game news, not on the so positive front, 
And if I may help you segue to this, this is a game that I read today broke the record for most refund requests in a single day. Did you hear about that? Which is wild after Cyberpunk is an actual thing. Um, So a lot of people were really excited for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, considering it was coming out of the studio that made the Arkham games. But it has fallen incredibly flat right out the gate. Uh, There was a way to get early access if you spent $100 on the game instead of, you know, the base game to get it played a few days early. Hey, and guess what happened if you did that? Well, the game auto-completed and then wouldn't let you boot it back up. Did you do this? I did not, because I rarely pre-order games anymore. Because time... And it's not worth doing it because stuff like this happens. Um, the game was basically unplayable during the early access time. So it began with refunds of the company just giving people back their 20 extra bucks for a game. Um, but yeah, as Darren said, it has become one of the the highest refunded requested game ever. Uh, and the actual gameplay, I guess, is not any better than it seemed to be on the early previews of it. Storyline is supposed to be fine, but as a game, not so much. So hopefully you weren't one of those poor, poor fools that pre-ordered Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, or spent $100 on a game that kind of just gave you the big old middle finger when you booted it up. So it's not even like the gameplay was bad. You wouldn't even know if the gameplay was good because you couldn't play it. Right. And those that were able to play it were like, well, this is Anthem all over again. So how would they even release that if if, if it's not playable? It was a bug. Oh, of course. Yeah, Yeah, they missed it. Like they didn't try to boot up their own copy or anything like that before they... Okay. I don't know. I don't know if it was like a switch they flipped or what but like as soon as it was like actually up and online that changed it but that that game never looked good i saw i saw a ton of like the previews for it i mean i was mildly interested as i sort of wandered my way back into gaming that game never looked good am i right i mean did you or would you even now that you're sort of drifting into dc a little bit more i would was this ever something you were considering no, I mean, considering how much Gotham Knights fell flat, um, which came out, man, it's got to be about a year now ago. Like that <laughs> I didn't even so know it was out. Right. It, it came out and it was so poor that I think both Xbox and PlayStation now give it out for free. Um, was it not voting incredibly well for this? And we, again, like even the last Arkham game, I wasn't as big of a fan of Arkham Knight because I didn't really care for the way that the Batmobile drove. So I was being a little like <clears throat> apprehensive. And I'm not a big Suicide Squad person. So I I, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's fine. I will, I will see if it's good. I know they've put out games that were fantastic in the past. And I'm, I'm glad I dragged my feet and I wasn't super into it. It was coming out the same month as Final Fantasy. So I was like, uh, yeah, I you was going to put it up anyway. That was never so going to be on your radar. Right, like, I'll be lucky if I can even play Final Fantasy this month, so it's, yeah, no, I I mean, I dodged a bullet, and it was a bullet that I was not even really paying attention to. So can I ask you a question, since we are on the topic of video games in DC, 
Mm-hmm. Are you were you ever one of those people that said the reason there is no Superman game is because a Superman game cannot be done on video games? Because well, I'm gonna say, I think it can. I know. I mean, a Superman game could happen. I mean, look at the N64. <clears throat> I mean, it could happen, but I guess I was <laughs> I was more alluding to the fact that there a playable well. Superman <laughs> game. Now there was a pretty decent one for the PlayStation Two that was the Superman the Animated Series. Um, but I think it suffered from the fact that it followed the N64 <laughs> Superman. Um, but you played Hogwarts Legacy, right? I did. The flying mechanics in that, when you're on the broom, were fantastic. And I could totally envision something like that, where as you go along, your flight abilities increase. So, like, can you see, like, just zooming from place to place on a map just as Superman? Like, you get the call, and you can just take off. I mean, they did the entire New York City with Spider-Man. And, I mean, I don't know. I think it can be done. Look at No Man's Sky. I mean, you could just... No. I mean, I'm just... So, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm building off of what you're saying about it's the Suicide Squad. I'm not really into it. Like, only the mm-hmm. hardest of hardcore su- DC fans truly are Suicide Squad fans. And I truly wish that I could reference which episode of the panel scanners I did the Suicide Squad uh, retro review on. Um, I don't know. But We've only done 206 was, of these, so... But, I mean, that wasn't even the Suicide Squad. This is that newer team that's, like, Harley Quinn. Right, and... it's not the, your original Suicide Squad. Right, so, I, I don't know. But, no, I think a Superman game could work. It's just, I think that they would have to figure out how to do the, like, minutia part. I think... The the best way to do it is to also have Clark Kent parts. Agreed. So I mean, it's doable. Oh. You have to be in the right hands because I think that that could make a very very interesting game. I agree. I but am... if it if they made it all about flying around and punching things, I don't think it'd be. One hundred percent agree. And as I've said, you know, so many times in this podcast, any Superman will only be as good as the Clark Kent. If Clark's gone too long, people start getting suspicious. <laughs> nice. You know yeah. something about that uh, the Justice League game that doesn't suck? Kevin Conroy. Uh, Kevin Conroy, who passed away in November of 2022, known to many as the definitive voice of Batman, is reported to have a few more Batman appearances to go. It was reported that Suicide Squad, Build the Justice League, is not Conroy's last appearance as Batman. It was reported that Conroy will appear in the upcoming Batman Cape Crusader. However, that information was squashed by animator Bruce Tim. Uh, the second appearance is said to be a cameo in Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 3, uh, where he would once again voice the Batman, the animated series version of the character. Uh, no release date has been arranged for part three. But it would be good to hear Kevin's voice again. Yeah, I had heard somewhere that he had done a bunch of recordings so that his voice would be used as Batman uh, in perpetuity. And I I just find that to be a little creepy. Um, I know James Earl Jones has already finished his work for that on Darth Vader. So his his voice could be Darth Vader, but I think that you know 
I don't know, for whatever reason, since he's mechanical and it's more robotic, it's a little bit less... I don't, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just... I find that... I mean, if he wants <laughs> to do it, it's just... Uh, and I think Shatner's already done it, too. He's done a ton of work that his likeness can be used for Captain Kirk in perpetuity. Huh. Um, I said with, with Vader, you can just get a catalog of words and just, you know, craft your own dialogue forever and ever and ever. It's funny, I guess, for the difference being, and I, you can make this argument for Kevin Conroy as well, that uh, James Earl Jones was never in the costume, and of course Kevin Conroy is the same way. But I don't know, I don't know why I'm associating them differently because there's, I don't, there's not as much difference as I think, I probably think there is. But um, I know I still miss him. You know, it's, it's that's the voice of a generation. That's a voice of, that's the voice of multiple generations at this point. Agree. You know, I and I think that kind of circles back to the whole AI conversation too, and like computer animated uh, versions of people in movies. It, it's the same concept, really, like manipulating voice recordings so that they continue to be that person. I I, I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing. And the kind of the uh, I would say byproduct of that is you keep using you know, the old act voice actors, you know, forever and ever and ever, you're never going to get that new batch of, like, the next greatest thing. Yeah, there has to be an end, right? That's what makes these things special. Right. Yeah, when you know you're only going to have them for a limited time. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess, I, I, I don't know. It's, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, and... I mean, this could just be a bunch of fake news, too, that's piling up about Conroy, that there is not that much, and maybe it is only one more thing. Well, Phil, what if I told you that you could play the Justice League, kill the or Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League, on your, in your hand, would you do it? No, because it sucks. Um, but... All right, moving on. No. Right, no. Um, so... Just with that that concept of like playing games with your hands, obviously it, it's it seems like there's this weird shift going back in that direction. Um, we had a bit of a pause, and then the Switch came out. And then on the heels of the Switch, we got the Steam Deck, and we're starting to get all these other very cool portable computers. And it would only make sense that one of the those are called laptops. Uh, no, 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 no. Not like that. Handheld gaming computers, sir. The laptops are, they overheat and last for like 30 minutes. So do Steam Decks, actually, if you really think about it with some of these games. But regardless. Yeah, they do. No lie. Sony didn't want to be out of the mix and just announced that they are working on basically a new PS Vita. Did any of you guys have a Vita? Nope. No. I had a place, I had a PSP, which was awesome. And I still have my Vita. Do you really? I really do. Uh, it's it, it was a, it was such a great piece of technology, and you could remote play on it. It was like one of the first things you could remote play with. So what happened? Sony just didn't support it. They thought that the handheld gaming market was going to mobile. Okay, yeah, I, I can almost okay. see where they're coming from on that. That's yeah, right. I gotcha. But I, I do feel like there was a big shift, and we're seeing more and more of it. The Switch Two is announced. They released the OLED Steam Decks, 
There's going to be yet another Steam Deck coming out soon. They have all of these other, like, um, the Rogue Ally, which is a, another handheld, like, gaming PC. And Sony just didn't want to, I guess, miss out on it. They're seeing that it's working. So the rumor, as of right now, is that it would be about the power of a PS4, which is around the same level that the Switch 2 is going to be. Because remember, the Switch is actually a step below the PS4. And yeah. the Switch 2 isn't going to be as powerful as Xbox and uh, the current PS5s. Well, is it is it mostly safe to say that even the Steam Deck's highest... Maybe not their highest version, but most of them... They're about the functionality of a past generation console. Um, no, I I think they're I think they're a little more powerful because because they are able to play current gen things. The battery struggles. Oh yeah, it does. That's for sure. Simply because using that kind of like computer power, but I mean, you can play quote unquote next gen games like you can play Baldur's Gate three. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it'll I, last a half hour, but you can play it. Yeah, and and I'll tell you the to me the selling point, and I assume you're going to get to this, so maybe this is a good way to introduce it. The selling point for me on the Steam Deck is being able to plug that sucker into my um, 75 inch TV I have in my basement, and it just it's work, it's there, and I can just grab a controller and play. So right, I, I mean, and then you're plugged in, and you're on the you're not on battery anymore. Exactly, and I mean, and that's kind of what the the switch pioneered the idea of being able to just yeah get in exactly you're right about that i would be shocked shocked if any handheld came out going forward that you would not be able to plug into i mean yeah that would be giant monitors right like we're at that point yeah and i was very impressed with i mean i because i got my steam deck right around the time hogwarts legacy came out and i i wanted to test it out and this is before i had my bigger tv and I plugged it in just to like see myself flying towards the castle. And I, you know me, I don't know the this, this second thing about Harry Potter. But flying yeah. towards that castle in that broom, I'm like, this rocks. Which right there is the argument for it being as powerful as like at least a current gen system. Okay, you're because right. Yeah, I think you're right. You, the only system that Hogwarts drag being released for was the Switch. And have you seen uh, screenshots from the Switch version? Of, re- of what? Hogwarts? Hogwarts. No, I haven't. You, you should do yourself a favor and check it out at some point. It is it is a major step down. Uh, is it really? I imagine, I'd imagine, I'd envision it that it would have to be. Oh, it's it's noticeable. It is very noticeable. See, this is the conversation I wanted to have with you. It's too bad you're not available by Indiana Jones on the Steam Deck, no less. Yes, yes. Not tonight. Maybe another day. I have a question, though. <laughs> Unless yes. I'm interrupting you too much, I apologize. Oh, you're um, fine. I assume no physical media for this one. They've not said one way or the other yet. That wouldn't make any I sense, would, would it? I would be shocked. Because Steam Deck, no physical media. They have not said Switch to one way or the other will have cartridges or anything. So in the Vita before, the original one, which that's got to be, what, 12, 15 years ago at this point, right? Yeah. Okay, so you said there was remote play, right? Mm-hmm. Now, from what I recall early on, and one of the reasons they killed it was that was a non-starter, that it was not functional, people had problems with it. But when you say remote play, 
Describe what that meant, remote play, from the PlayStation Vita when that launched, let's say, what, 2010-ish? It was around the same... It, it came out when the PS3 was still kicking. Yeah, so that would have been around that time. Yeah. Just... I mean, all remote play was was being able to play your like PS3 in your house on a handheld. You couldn't really go somewhere with it. But they tried to tell us... they. It, they heavily implied that you could leave your PlayStation 3 at home, go on vacation, and play the game you were playing. They definitely implied that, right? Which you theoretically could, but you would have to have amazing internet. All right, it's yeah, cl- so that... it's, it's cloud gaming. So I'm interested to see because, I mean, with the Steam Deck, your library is Steam anyway. I mean, you could access it pr- pretty much anywhere, so that's cloud gaming right there, right? Well, no, because it's you download it. Oh, sure, but I mean, no, that's a major difference. If that stuff actually goes on the system versus pulling it from the cloud, I, to I play see. It yeah, okay. That's because what um, that's what Stadia was trying to be, right? Google and Stadia. That's why Stadia failed miserably as well. well. Right. Oh man, cloud gaming is rough because internet, no matter how good it is in some places. Most places, it is still very poor. Yeah, and aren't you kind of surprised that we haven't gotten to that point yet? I'm I'm a little surprised that we're still like it's like we've we've plateaued a bit and I'm like I keep waiting for that to I mean Google I mean I, everyone like kind of criticizes them for that I mean Google tries stuff though man they threw that sucker out there like we're gonna see how this goes it's probably gonna fail guys um, and it failed I was so close to trying that thing too I was and I and I'm like you know what I'm gonna wait on this one yeah, says the man who kickstarted the Ouya oh. The Ouya? Yeah. This guy. He probably don't even remember this thing. I kickstarted this. I have no idea what the heck that is. Yeah, it was because it sucked, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a total it was a total wash. And you just happened to have it handy. Uh, well, I, like I said, I'm cleaning out my basement and uh someone told me they would I would have to pay them like thirty bucks to take it off my hands. It's a good deal. Ouch. <laughs> It's a good deal. Oh, man. Wow. All right. Cloud well, gaming. Speaking of gaming, speaking game of video games, live. speaking of video games, though, you know, I'm still wondering here that why we don't have good internet access, and it's 2024. Why aren't we able to just get inside and go in video games like the movie Tron? Um, and speaking of Tron, I need a very awkward and self-serving... Segway, uh, the movie Tron Ares is coming out. Yay. I am a huge fan of the Tron uh, series, which is only two movies at this point. There was a TV show that I never watched, an animated series. But the sequel, or not sequel, because movies are afraid to be one thing anymore. They have to sort of cover all the bases. Um, It's the sequel to Tron Legacy, which was 2010, a movie I loved. Or isn't a sequel to Tron Legacy. The story follows the dawn of a self-aware program that threatens to take over the grid. So, Tron, right? However, this time, that sentience finds a way to cross into the human world. No word on how much of Tron Ares will take place beyond the grid and into our own existence, but... I don't know. I kind of think that's not really what I'd want out of Tron. If you're going to watch a Tron movie, do you want to watch him walking around New York City? Not me. 
Um, I kind of greet this new very used very tepidly. I thought Legacy was outstanding. The production design was breathtaking in that movie. The music was fantastic. That soundtrack was just amazing. It was just an awesome experience. Um, Tron Aries stars Jared Leto, which uh, make of that? Yeah, th- there you go. That is exactly my thoughts too. Um, and there was great rejoicing. Yay! Uh, <laughs> so no one is coming back from Tron Legacy. Unfortunately, he is playing the role of a computer programmer and a potential tech CEO. Leto was also said to be playing Ares, the program that gains access to the human world. I have a, I have a suggestion for anyone who's worried about Ares taking over. Go find Kratos. Um, nice. This, this is true that he's going in from the grid to take over. Boy, does this start to remind me of the Masters of the Universe movie from 1987, when all we thought the movie would be doing was taking place in, in, on Eternia, but within 10 minutes they had arrived on Earth. Um, uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm tempering my enthusiasm for this one. Joining Leto in the movie are Joe Fabitz, Irving for Schlugener, Dave, that guy from the other movie. Yeah, that guy. And some <laughs> lady generically named Jane. And, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. What is happening? <laughs> Stallone? <laughs> no. <laughs> I remember the whole reference. I was like, oh, actually, let's see if it's like... I still miss Norris. Um, I, 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 I cannot get my son to watch Tron. You'd think a, a, video, a movie about being in a video game, he'd be all over. And he just refuses to watch it. I kind of get it. Um, I think he'd love it. No, but, you're talking about you want to watch the first one, right? Yeah. I love that movie. But if you're not initiated, if you didn't grow you see that thing. you Like, I showed it to Lily, and she was like, what is going on with this thing? I'm like, you got to get through it. And it's, it, it's not... It, I love it. I don't know if I don't know if I'm able to say whether or not it's a good movie. Um, history sort of proves to me that it probably has to be somewhat good because it's still around and they're still they made giant theme park attractions based on it and its sequel. So, but I mean that's a difficult movie to look at if you don't know what you're you're in for. Um, very innovative. I mean, you, you've watched Tron. Here's your frisbee. You know, it's like. Right. That's that like was what was so great, though. That movie as all you did. We just ran outside and started throwing frisbees. Exactly. That was the, like the one movie, uh, us growing up in the in the boom period of movies and action figures, where you went and saw the movie and you already had the toy at home. Yeah. I mean, like you had to dig it out and everyone for like that summer was just zipping those things around. And... You get pop somebody in the head and then you hold it up because you're getting it marked, you know. It's, it's, just... the, it's the movie that taught us that high lie was a deadly sport. Oh, yeah. yeah. Start doing the uh, speeder bike races, not speeder bikes. That's Star Wars. Light cycle, light cycle races. Those on things your were bikes. so cool, weren't they? <laughs> they still are. In fact, cool. you try doing it on your bike, and you go to cut somebody off, and then you both, you know, take I, a header. I remember when they announced they're doing the sequel to, to Tron and Tron Legacy, and the first thing they showed was, and it, and it made sense because it was an evolution, and we were in new computer graphics where the guy had the little. It, I, at the time, I thought it was a USB jump drive, and he tossed it in front of himself, and the, and, the, and the light cycle constructed itself right there in front of him as he jumped on it, and I went, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> that was like the last time I was kind of blown away by special effects. Yeah. Mm. Well, for some uh, effects that weren't necessarily special, but around the same time period, uh, for those who immediately feel 
tinges of you know the brilliant but canceled Dark Crystal and Willow streaming series, your trepidation is understood. Thank you. Before he took his day off as Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick played Philippe Gaston opposite Michelle Pfeiffer and Rutger Hauer in Lady Hawk. Uh, directed by Richard Donner. Yes, that Richard Donner. The film fell a few million short of the box office of its production budget. It did garner general good reviews and was nominated for two Academy Awards for sound and sound effects editing and a Saturn Award for best fantasy film. Uh, Rutger Hauer passed in 2019 and Richard Donner in 2021. So they obviously will not be involved in the series. Um, it is unclear if either Broderick or Pfeiffer will be involved. Yeah, you, you've, of course, seen Lady Hawk. Phil, that may have been a little bit before your time. I don't think I've seen it, no. Okay. It's been a long time, it, but you're saying, is this obscure a enough that I think that they can run with this, but it's got a good enough storyline that I think this has the potential to be fantastic. I'm, ex- you know, I'm all for it. I mean, I got to yeah, watch I don't, I don't think they're stepping on anybody's toes with this one. Or, you know, they're going to, you know, mm-hmm. some fanboy out there is going to be crying. Like I said, it was loose enough that I think they got a lot to work with. And it was a great concept. And I haven't thought about that movie in years. Oddly enough, I have. Really? I don't know why. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was, I saw it up on a screen while I was looking for like legend or like some other movies from that time period. And that just happened to like, since you enjoyed this, you might like, you know, like that kind of a thing. It's, but. it's so, it's so interesting. Like the eighties are definitely known as the decade for like the greatest horror movies because they're always like all the horror movies from the eighties had that little wink and a nod or a lot of feel of humor, but right underneath that, those fa- they, they churned out those fantasy movies, man. I want to see a crawl remake. That'd be fantastic. Oh, I love that movie. Love crawl. Um, we that might need to be a retro at some point. Oh, hmm. yeah. Well, well more... another eighties uh, uh, follow up. This is really more of a sequel. Yes, this is a direct sequel, and it is another eighties movie, and it is, I think, a little bit more in the uh, the 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 social knowledge base than. Lady Hawk, although I'm, I'm going to have to watch that soon. Beetlejuice. I think we've known a while now that Beetlejuice 2 was happening, and Tim Burton is directing... Wait, which movie? Beetlejuice. Which one? Beetlejuice. Which one? I... That was... Don't, don't do it. Well, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna applaud yourself for leading me into that joke here in a second. Oh, um, wow. Okay. It, uh, it is Michael Keaton, back as Beetlejuice, and it is Tim Burton directing, and the movie is coming out on uh, September 24th of this year. 2024 and the title of the movie is beetlejuice beetlejuice so obviously Ooh. we can expect a third i think um at least there oh. is a play. now i obviously i'm just going to put this out there right now because i've been advocating for this and i have predicted that it was possible even though our former co-host tim thought i was crazy this was before michael keaton did return as batman tim burton and michael keaton spent months together on a movie set the same movie which preceded the directly preceded Batman was Beetlejuice. They shot Beetlejuice and then they went right into the production and together on Batman. I wonder how many conversations, because the topic had to have come up about the two of them who have stated many times that they would love to have done a third Batman together. 
Michael Keaton. If uh, Don't worry about seeing The Flash. Go look up the fight scenes with Michael Keaton. It was him that did a lot of that stuff. He was great. He stepped into that like he'd been he'd been waiting to do it for 30 years which is what happened he had been waiting to do it for 30 years um he he and he and you know if you've ever seen re, uh, interviews with michael keaton and they ask him who's the best batman do you ever know what he says himself yeah he says i am and i have no reason to argue with him um he i'm all for this because listen the Dark Knight is just sitting at the Dark Knight Returns, his version of that is just sitting waiting for him. And he has aged into that perfectly. He's in his 70s, but he doesn't he doesn't look it. Um so go check out some of the Michael Keaton stuff. It's all over YouTube at this point. You can skip the rest of that piece of crap movie. Um You know how that movie has to start. Right? Which one? Beetlejuice two. You uh, remember how Beetlejuice one ended? Yes. With him in the waiting room, taking his number, waiting for his turn. Go look at the poster. He's got the ticker tape, his number. He's holding the number on the poster. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Oh, okay. The poster is wow. him holding the number from the waiting room. I guess correctly yeah. then. All so, right. yeah. So, that, that's exactly how. So, I would think they, they yeah, you'll be very pleased. Um, they finally call his number. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you know what's funny? I've always wondered, is, is Beetlejuice the protagonist? Is the antagonist? Is he the hero? Is the anti-hero? Is he just pure id? Um, but I don't think there's any question about that for our next story, is there, Phil? No. So, okay. We've talked a lot about how Marvel stuff is starting to hit a wall. Yes. Yes, agree. <laughs> MCU, at least. Inevitably so, by the Inevitably way. Inevitably so. Way no, too much of it. No fault, no blame. It's time, right? It's it's oversaturation for sure. Yeah, for sure. However, one of the best things that came out of Marvel during that run was the Daredevil show that was on Netflix. And at this point, there's no question that Disney Plus is starting up a new one called Daredevil Born Again. We've heard rumor, little more than a rumor, that the potential villain for this is Muse. Do you remember when I talked about Muse at all? Yes. No. Absolutely do. Do you really? This would have been... Now, I've read Born Again, the original comic, the Frank Miller comic. Yeah, this is not... This okay, is not. So, so then forgive me, maybe I don't. No, so... Uh, Muse was uh, one of the villains from the Charles Soul run of Daredevil from... Oh, yes. So, uh, 2018? Yeah, so this would have been following uh, the letter 44 when he goes into that. He did something b between there, though. The Lando series. He did the Lando series, remember? And then he went yeah. into uh, Daredevil. So this was like 2016 then. Um, so Muse... For anybody who doesn't know this villain the way that he was introduced in daredevil was he revealed his first piece of art because he's an artist he's kind of like to balance the whole fact that you know matt murdoch is blind but he did his first creation out of the blood of a hundred missing people in new york so 
with the gruesomeness of that, there is the hope that if they are going this route with this villain, someone who basically uses human bodies and blood to do their art, that Daredevil will have a similar tone to the original Netflix show. And considering they recast pretty much everybody who was in that thing, it's promising to look like it could be something good for Disney. This is still Charlie Cox, right? It is. Okay, because I mean, he, he's made a few appearances. Um, you know, the last Spider-Man, you know, as Matt Murdock. He was in She-Hulk. Yeah, She-Hulk. Yeah, that was I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that. I did too. Um, and I guess he was in Echo as well. But I, I'm a really good lawyer. Yeah, I've I haven't watched that. Echo yet. Yeah. So I mean, he is he's dug his feet in. Wilson Fix is still there. Um, my understanding is the I don't I forgive me I can never remember the names of the actors, uh, but who played Karen Page and Foggy are coming back as well, like they're keeping that cast. So if they can keep the tone and that maybe maybe the shows could still continue to be something worth watching. So again, at least Disney can do something right. No. Yeah, hopefully that turns out well, because they may have to uh, stash some cash here. Uh, allegedly, Disney is was using stolen tech to produce their live-action Beauty and the Beast. At least that's what the lawsuit brought up against them claims. Uh, reportedly, should the suit bear fruit, it could cost the company billions with a B. Billions. Allegedly... Disney also used the MOVA, MOVA technology, in other films such as Guardians of the Galaxy 3, among others. Long story short, Disney hired a company called DD3 that had apparently already been to court and told to stop using the software. Um, it's now up to Disney to prove that they didn't know about the previous ruling before hiring DD3. They could pay up to $139 million as a percentage of Beauty and the Beast's uh, profits. Uh, the other films in question uh, that will be subject to the same ruling, uh, Avengers Infinity War and Ooh. Endgame. Ouch. So if it goes, you know, the way that Disney has to pay for Beauty and the Beast... Well, any other film that they're found to have been using the same software, same ruling, you get those two big monstrosities, and that's going to be a big payday. I think they're both in the top five highest grossing films of all time. So exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. So they well, just have to prove that they didn't know about this ruling against the company that they hired. Because, you know, Disney doesn't do any kind of background checks or anything like that, I'm sure. Well, that's going to be a tough be. sell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You you know everything. How do you not know this? Well, if there is any entity who would be happy to capitalize off that one, it has to be their neighbors down the street in Florida, Universal Studios. Um, and this is a story that, you know, I really wish Mark was here. And hopefully he'll, we'll have him back soon because he's, he's kind of the guy that focuses on our uh, theme park stuff. Boy, does this sound cool. Um, 
So they're getting ready to launch their Epic Universe, which is a lot of their properties. It's a whole new land. And one of the things they announced recently, I think it was actually just the other day, um, they tried to launch the movie universe, the Dark Universe. It was uh, Dracula Untold and then The Mummy, which was a complete and total bomb. Um, it was Tom Cruise, so I mean, I wasn't going to see it. Um, now, they're getting ready to launch their alongside the wizarding world of harry potter super nintendo world um how to train your dragon they're going to get ready to launch the dark universe area of their epic universe where guests encounter everything from the experiments of dr victoria frankenstein to the shadowy landscape where monsters roam in a world of myth and mystery um the dark universe and this comes from comicbook.com was a big cinematic universe that was supposed to compete with, amongst other things, Marvel, the MCU. Uh, and it, oh, the Invisible Man, uh, was it was supposed to have the Invisible Man, the Wolfman, Van Helsing were movies that never made it to the screen. Um, so it is, it, that is something that is on the way. There's going to be a lot more parts of the attraction, which will include Dracula, which will include the Wolfman, so they're going to really go into their their universal monsters here. I really do hope that they save room for some of the tr more traditional versions of these monsters that we're not just going to get these updated because they said Victoria Frankenstein. So that leads me to believe that she's going to be a descendant of Victor Frankenstein. But I certainly hope there's an area of where you're going to see like the Bela Lugosi, the... Um, uh, why is his name escaping me all of a sudden? Bela Lugosi. Lon Chaney. Thank you, Lon mm -hmm. Chaney. Uh, those guys, and, and, and some of their originals. One of my favorite attractions was is the, the, the horror show that is at Universal Studios. And in their lobby, they have all those... Um, those the, the the props the actual props from a lot of horror movies that you can just go and see in the display cases and they have like stuff from the 1930s all the way up to like the recent stuff i know they had like some jason's machete they had one of the michael myers masks and i just kind of got lost in there because it was all those horror movies that were right when i was super getting into horror movies in the late 80s um they had some of gary what was the movie uh with the little puppets why can't i think of it do you remember what i'm talking about uh puppet master uh, yeah, Puppet Master. They oh, had, yeah. they had okay. a couple of critters there. Um, critters, yes. Yes. So uh, I, I, this, this gets me excited. This, this is something that I feel like um, really will draw me back to Universal Studios at some point. I mean, to be able to walk around that. Come on, that's yeah. awesome. And then something moves, and yeah, no. right. Well, something that I'm absolutely excited for in the actual comic book world is one of my favorite writers uh, in since we've done this podcast, literally the guy who got me to read Thor, which I had no interest in prior to, Jason Aaron is going to start writing the ongoing IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles after issue 150 drops, taken over from Sophie Campbell. Uh, considering how, like, weird and sci-fi slash fantasy-ish a lot of the stuff has kind of gotten, 
uh, it seems that Jason Aaron would be an incredibly good fit for this series. Uh, excited to see what he does with it. Um, but again, I mean, 150 is not that far away. We're on 147 or 148 right now. So this is happening in, in the very near future. So it seems that TMNT is here to stay, and it got a very, very well-known and strong writer to continue moving forward. In the little bit of weird news, you all, I'm sure you guys know who Taylor Swift is. I have a no. sophomore, a daughter who's a sophomore in high school. You tell me. So yeah, so obviously you know her boyfriend is plays plays the football uh, for the Chiefs. She, she owns that oh. trucking line, right? Yes, that's, that's, that's okay. where I knew her from. That's it. Yeah, yeah, all right, all yeah. right. It's, it's all Swift. coming. I, in. I, I've seen them on the roads. Yeah, you stole their logo from me. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> or 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 it could be the other way around. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Springfield Swift. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. well. Travis Kelsey, this is what I was getting to, is for some reason making a bio comic about himself uh, that is coming out very soon. It would be shocking if they somehow don't throw Taylor Swift's face on there, since that seems to be the way that they sell things these days. I just thought this was weird and it needed to be brought up because I don't. Is Travis Kelsey's life that interesting that a comic book is necessary? Well, he's one of us. So, uh, I guess we'll find out. The Kelsey's so. are Clevelanders, everyone, so. Yeah? Yeah, so we'll find out. All well, right. I, gotta I guess ju- it depends on how many issues it runs. True. I mean, if, if it's a one-shot, it almost doesn't seem worth it. I mean, if you're going to, you know, break it down into, like, you know, growing up in high school and then college and then pros and then... I remember when I started teaching, he was already a big deal, and he played in, at our stadium, and I don't know, he's going to write a comic about his life. He's always been a well-thought-of and highly-rated football player who's been celebrated the entire time. I'm sure that's a really tough story to write. Um We'll find out, though. Okay, uh, one final story here, guys, and this is a good segue to what we have here uh, for Gary's Retro Review. Um, And this is kind of cool, but I'm going to lead in with a joke. All right, guys, what is the difference between the city of Cleveland and the Titanic? Cleveland had a better orchestra. Yes, we are more than just LeBron James, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Cleveland Clinic, and all those other great things like the Emerald Necklace. Uh, The Cleveland Orchestra is a world-renowned performing arts uh, titan, widely regarded as one of the best orchestras uh, in the world. They are going to do, in this April, Batman 89. So what that's going to be is you're going to go to the Playhouse Square, you sit down to watch the movie, and they have uh, they have uh, excised the uh, score, Danny Elfman's score from the movie, and they will be playing that score live uh, as you watch the movie. And that is just all kinds of awesome, if you ask me. Um, got some more information about this here. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I tried to go by to get tickets for this, but uh, I couldn't get past the menu screen, so it feels like it probably is already sold out, which is not surprising. And this is what appears on the uh, website for the Cleveland Orchestra. The Dark Knight, defender of law and order in Gotham City, treads the shadow zone between right and wrong, fighting with his fighting with only his skill in martial arts and his keenly honed mind 
to defend the innocent and purge the memory of his parents' brutal murder. Always keeping his true identity as millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne a closely guarded secret, except that he totally just lets Vicky Vale into the Batcave in this movie. Apparently they've not seen it. Um, the film will be accompanied by a live orchestra conducted by James Olmsted, providing the perfect opportunity to revisit a classic fan favorite film based on one of the world's most popular DC Comics characters or introduce it to a new audience. Guests are encouraged to dress up as their favorite DC superhero when you come and see this. So, boy, oh boy, this is going to be in April. That sounds like it would be just a tremendous amount of fun. Um, I, I'm going to keep my eyes on this to, to hope I get some tickets. Um, and as we know, like that movie, one of the primary inspirations that Tim Burton drew when he was creating the Batman movie was the Frank Miller um, graphic novel. Actually, it wasn't a graphic novel at the time. It was in within the continuity of the DC Comics. Um, the uh, Batman Year One, uh, which tells the tale of Batman's first year as Batman, and it just so happens. R. See, I had this. I think as one of my top ten. What you looking forward to? Uh, of the year where Gary's retro reviews because last year alone he did. Um, Watchmen Dark, yeah, and Dark the Dark Knight, Knight Returns. Returns and also Thunderbolt or Thunderstrike. Yeah, well, that was yeah. a <laughs> he went from two of the uh, the most <laughs> the two of the seminal graphic novels that have ever been produced and he followed it up with Thunderstrike. But here he is again. I had it here in my house. <laughs> here it is again. Gary is going to tackle one of the most celebrated uh, storylines slash graphic novels that uh, DC Comics has ever produced. It is one that has uh, been a tremendous influence across any Batman production. And uh, I am super excited about this one. So, Gary, the floor is yours. Uh-huh. This one was, I don't want to say it was weird, but I noticed some things after reading this one that I've not noticed reading anything else. Uh, brief background, in uh, 1986, the editorial board of DC Comics cited their heroes, some of who were nearly a half a century old, had become dated. Um, a massive revamping was clearly in order, and the place to begin was with the company's three most popular and enduring characters, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Uh, writers and artists were assigned to the task, and... Superman and Wonder Woman were a little easier, but the way that Batman's origin had already been explained was the perfect explanation of why Batman came to be. So why he continued his obsessive crusade and perhaps more important, uh, it mirrored fears, frustrations, and hopes of the readership. So what they did instead was fill in some of the blanks. Um, again, you already knew who and why and things like that. So what they did is they came up with a four-issue miniseries. Step back. They needed someone to do this. Um, having already done Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller volunteered. Um, 
He was generally acknowledged to be the best writer artist to enter comics since the early 1960s. And some would say the best ever. Um, when he was a beginner at DC's chief competitor, Marvel Comics, he had recreated a minor character card called Daredevil and produced a series that was at once faithful to establishing continuity, dazzlingly innovative and immersively popular, you know, things like that. So he was well-known, had already experience with the character, and the only real difference, I want to say the only real difference is he brought in a different artist. Um, I'm going to slaughter this guy's name. David Mazzucchelli. No. M-A-Z-Z-U-C-C-H-E-L-L-I. I think it's Mazzucchelli. We'll go with that, and that's the last time I'm going to try it. Okay. So the reason that this is weird, like normally if you read a miniseries or a book, you know, there is a a start, you know, there's a problem that has to be solved, you know, there's some sort of a conflict, and then there's a resolution. Well, since Batman is, you know, an ongoing property that already had a lot of history out in the public, that wasn't necessarily the case here. Um, this story uh, starts on January 4th. We have uh, Bruce Wayne and Lieutenant Jim Gordon both arriving in Gotham City. Uh, Bruce, now 25, has been abroad for 12 years. Uh, Gordon is taking a job. His wife, Barbara, is pregnant with their first child. Uh, Jim soon discovers that the... Uh, basically, the police police force in Gotham isn't really, you know, on the up and up. Um, from his partner to the other detectives on the force, all the way up to the current commissioner. The commissioner greenlights uh, Gordon being taught a lesson as he was being a thorn in the side of the other officers, and he is jumped by five masked assailants, who he quickly identifies by the laughs and voices. Uh, fresh off of a beating, Gordon finds them one by one and delivers an equal beating to each of, you know, those officers involved, including his partner, a physically impressive former Green Beret. So they're establishing how much of a badass Jim Gordon is in this. So the, the entire story pretty much is split between Bruce Wayne, his first year as Batman, and Jim Gordon first year in Gotham City. Um, so again, this starts in January 4th. It's detailing Jim Gordon as he first arrives in Gotham, finding out just how corrupt and crooked the city really is. On the flip side of this coin, you've got Bruce Wayne, who's been away for 12 years, has been out training, becoming Batman, and is just super eager to go out there and just start cracking stalls. Uh, very impatient. So he lightly disguises himself, heads out to Gotham's East End, and confronts, you know, for, you know, a pimp, for, for you know, lack of a better word. Um, during this confrontation, he gets stabbed in the leg by one of the pimp's ladies and is shot by a cop um, and almost bleeds out and dies. So Batman almost ended... And Batman's first appearance, I mean, he wasn't in costume, but 
So Bruce's first adventure out to, you know, right the wrongs almost killed him. Um, the chapter ends with the classic scene of the bat breaking through the window of the study at Wayne Manor, you know, where he realizes he has to, you know, strike fear into the criminals and that was going to be his symbol. Book two, we're now into mid-April, April 4th, I believe. Batman is now a thing. Uh, Gordon, you know, working the police force side. In five weeks, uh, 78 attacks or acts of assault have been attributed to this bat creature. Um, you meet Falcone, the head of the crime family. Uh, he's meeting with the mayor. Harvey Dent is, you know, lower ranks. He's not the, the DA yet, but he's one of those, uh, you know, uncorrupted. And he can't seem to put anybody away because the people above him, you know, are on the tape, things like that. Um, you've got Dent versus Lieutenant Flass, who is Gordon's partner. You meet the Roman. Uh, this is also the first meeting of Gordon and Batman. Uh, Batman, ah, how do I say this? They cross paths. He saves an old woman from being run down. And Gordon is starting to realize that Batman is not a villain. He's making enemies of all the right people in, in Gotham. He saves a cat. Um, he breaks into a, a, a tailor shop and pays for a suit you know, that he walks out in public with. So Gordon is you know, now seeing evidence that Batman is actually you know, a good guy for the most part. Um, book three, we now get, we're into mid-June. Selena Kyle is introduced. You know, she, former prostitute, now becomes a cat burglar. Um, the, the reason this is so hard, not to say hard to review, but odd is that it's basically, a, I want to say a book of filler, but Again, since there is so much already out there, and you know that there's so much going on after the fact, you're watching the growing pains. You know, Bruce gets in over his head. You know, he's now in, in costume. He's you know in a building that just gets like napalm, and he's carrying equipment in his belt that is you know, explosive. He's got to ditch his utility belt because everything he's carrying is going up. So he's down to like a couple blow darts and like a pair of dice or something. It, it's <laughs> he, he, he's he's learning the ropes. Snake you know, he's he's got to guard this a little better. He's got to take better advantage of this. You know, he attacks a couple thieves that are like stealing a TV. And since he's not a killer, like one kid goes to take a tumble, he goes to grab the kid to save his life. Another guy hits him with a TV and he's just wasn't prepared for I don't want to say the insanity or the craziness of these scared kids essentially you know that aren't thinking logically they aren't reacting with any sort of strategy they're they're just scared yeah um 
book four, we're into September. Uh, Batman is starting to topple some higher members of the food chain. Uh, he's starting to intimidate and scare some of them. Like even some informants that, you know, had attempts on their life still were going to testify because they were terrified of Batman. Um, Dent, Harvey Dent is loving this. He's actually been in contact with Batman. He's told him, you know, these are the guys I'm after. This is the problem I'm having with them. And he's basically giving Batman targets. You know, this goes up to the mayor. This goes up to several crime bosses. Um, Gordon's son and wife are targeted by the Roman, uh, one of the crime bosses. Bruce helps Gordon rescue his son. The, the glassesless Gordon now believes Batman to be an ally. Uh, this is the first mention of the Joker as this ends on December 3rd, where you have Gordon waiting on the rooftop, you know, kind of explaining this guy is a joke. He you know, calls himself a joker. He wants to poison Gotham's water supply. I've got a friend showing up in a minute, you know, who can help. And it, it's the first, you know, meeting of them on the rooftop, pre-bat signal, of course. But so, again, as I said, this is not like it, it's filler, but it, it shows Bruce, you know, all eager to go. And then he realizes I messed up here. It's context. Now, the interesting thing that I found since I did read Dark Knight Returns, that was also written by Miller. You could tell it's the same character. Now, granted, in Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, he's, you know, old and grizzled and, you know, he's seen a lot and been through a lot. But the dialogue... Like the, the inner monologue is the same. You know, he's calling himself stupid. This is a stupid way to die. Kind of the same phrasing that he used in Dark Knight Returns, he uses in year one. So there's the continuity that this is the same guy. You know, there have been decades of Batman books that have been written at this point. But between these two... There, there is that continuity. Like I said, you feel it's the same character, the same guy. You hear the same voice, not necessarily like, you know, Kevin Conroy, you know, voice, but you know it's the same person. But he has the same thought processes, the same, he processes things the same way. Um, like I said, there is no real conclusion to this story because it is sort of, and I used the word filler before, it's not really filler. Like I said, it, it, it shows you the growing pains. It shows you how, you know, he gets in there with all this gusto and he realizes he has to pull back a little bit because he's getting sloppy. He's not paying attention. He's giving credit where credit should not be due because people are not acting the way that he thought they would be. And he's got to be more aware. On the same, or on the flip side, you see Jim Gordon and you're realizing what a badass this dude really is. You know, he gets jumped by five guys. He immediately goes after them. And the whole thing is done through, I mean, while there is some dialogue back and forth, it's that same vehicle of inner monologue, you know, what they're thinking, 
while they're doing this, you know, how Batman says, you know, I break his ribs, I try not to enjoy it. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff, but from both sides. So while Gordon is trying to work his way through the corrupt police force, you know, methodically, Batman's working his way through the street crime, but he's got to pull himself back. Gordon has to kind of step it up a little bit because everybody above him is kind of against him. And then once these two, you know, get on the same page and realize they've got help, you know, that's when things really start to take off. So it, it's a, it was a quick read. Um, I think this one was a little easier to read than Dark Knight Returns just because, you know, it, it wasn't a, you know, futuristic and there was slang and all this, you know, you had to kind of trudge through all that. It didn't need as um, much exposition to explain everything that was going on. I think you're, 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 you're ideally placed to know that you're in Gotham City, things are bad, Batman's on his way. Yes. And because you already know Batman's origin story, and yeah. they do touch upon it, like, you know, he has a flashback to, you know, going to see the, the Mask of Zorro and his parents being chopped, and Gordon actually almost figures out who Batman is just in this year one. Because, you know, as, as people have all these thoughts and rumors, he's like, you know, he's got all these expensive toys, he, you know, this, is, this takes some income. And one of his... You know, fellow cop said, well, you know, Bruce Wayne just came back in town. He's loaded. His parents were, you know, murdered, you know, mugged and murdered when he was a child. You know, the timing is, you know, got can't be more than, you know, has to be more than a coincidence. So he actually goes to Wayne Manor with his wife, you know, the interviews Bruce, who's, you know, again, sipping on uh, carbonated water, basically pretending it's champagne, you know. whole thing, it's kind of referenced in... Um, Dark Knight Returns when Gordon and Bruce are talking about the good old days. Like, I remember you used to, you know, pretend to be drinking alcohol all the time because you were trying to stay sharp, but you wanted to still give the appearance of being a playboy. So there, there's some callback to that a little bit. That's cool. I never actually made those connections, Gary. That's awesome. Yeah, well, I think it's just because I read them sort of, mm. you know, close together. Um, but yeah, so like Gordon almost cracked Batman, you know, in the first half of his first year, just based on okay, who has the resources to do all this? You know, he seems to only work between the hours of like midnight and four in the morning. You know, he seems to know all the right people to go after. It's just like there's too much coincidence, and and you no, know, apparently Bruce kind of you know one way or another turned him off to the idea. Or maybe Gordon just decided not to pursue it anymore because, you know, it was working for him. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the read. It was it was a lot quicker. Um, I I got the compiled edition, and the second half of the compiled edition was actually more like uh, there were some like fan letters, there was like sketch pages, there was like the so the entire second half of the book wasn't even story. You know, it, it was, you know, they show some other appearances of Batman, some other, like, where he drew inspiration from, things like that. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it, it was great. Um, like I said, I just, when I first got the book, and I mean, it, it's not terrible. It's like a quarter inch, three quarters of an inch thick. 
and then you find out that only half of that is actual story. So as I see Gordon waiting on the rooftop, waiting for Batman to show up, talking about the, the Joker, you realize it's December 3rd. You know, because they will go through the book and show you January 21st, May 1st, you know, whatever. So it, it will show you the progression, you know, how quickly or slowly things are going along. Um, and it, that's really it is. I don't want to say it's a day in the life. It's really just a year in the life. Um, you know, Batman still has a lot to learn at this point. Gordon is still working his way up through the ranks. Now he now has a, a newborn son. You know, he's now taking down the police department from the inside out while Batman's working on, you know, higher level crime bosses. And now you have your first quote unquote supervillain of, you know, the Joker showing up and Selena Kyle now in the picture as Catwoman, who the media has identified as Batman's assistant because they appeared at the Romans at the same time. And so Selena's getting pissed, and now she's like, I need to make a big splat somewhere. I need to separate myself from this guy. She's showing respect to him, but at the same time, she wants to stand out on her own. So, but I would say the, the book itself is sort of a 50 50 split between Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon. So I think it actually gives you more information on Gordon, who's always been sort of a supporting character in all of the stories. And the Batman stuff was just sort of reinforcement to what you kind of already knew. But I enjoyed it. Um, I'd recommend it. Like I said, it, it, it's. I don't. I don't want to say it's better than Dark Knight Returns. That is not even on the table. The Dark Knight it's a, Returns. It's a different kind of reads, but like I said, there is a definite connection between the two. The Dark Knight Returns asks a lot more of you. Oh yeah, uh, and then this one, I think it's there's a. I mean, it's 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 very much a Batman story, which is funny to say because I actually think this is a Jim Gordon story. Um, and I could very easily see that when I watched, I remember seeing Batman Begins, and even more so in The Dark Knight, I knew within minutes. I'm like, they used uh, Batman Year One's Jim Gordon for this movie, absolutely 100. Um, percent because I remember, remember, we grew up with Jim Gordon was the old man who couldn't do anything without Batman. He had to go reach for the red phone at all time and tell Chief O'Hara, "We better call that dynamic duo, or we're 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 certainly going to lose now." Uh, and then, and then in the movies, like the Batman '89, he's like this old rotund guy who's well past his prime. So by the time we see Gary Oldman as Jim Gordon, and he comes out, and he's 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 in charge, and you know, Flass is his, his partner, and he's, I mean, that 100% is the Batman year one on screen, Jim Gordon. Right. Yeah, and like I said, you know, you, you see all these, you know, internal monologues going on, and when he, in, after his his jumping, where he went and found each individual member that got to him, you know, he beat the crap out of Flass. Now, Flass is a good seven or eight inches taller than him, former Green Beret. Was and that Gordon? Was that the fight where he picked up the two by four and tossed it to the guy to make it a fair fight? Um, it wasn't two by four. I think it was a baseball bat. A baseball bat. Yeah, He's, he tossed it. He was like, "Make the fight <laughs> fair." Because Flass was drunk, you know, he was coming out of a bar, 
and he was like, you know, kind of going through all of his stats, and he's like, yeah, it, 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 you know, basically kind of equalize it, gives him the weapon. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, Green Beret, it's been a number of years since I had to take out a Green Beret, you know, and then he throws in the bat, you know, to equalize things. So it's like, oh, damn. So not only is Gordon about to face a Green Beret who's much larger than him, but he's apparently kicked the crap out of a couple of them before this. So, you know, when you're used to seeing even the animated series Gordon where he's just kind of like this, you know, old, you know, guy in a trench coat and very stately. You know, this dude, this dude's kicked some butt in his now this, this is a man of action, Jim Gordon. And it's, it's yes. funny, like, ever since having read that, I'm very cognizant of that. Like, the animated series Jim Gordon, I always got the sense that he was that guy for sure. But he's on the tail end of that now. He's already commissioner yeah. in here. And then, like... In the dark well, night. Well, the, the Christian the Bale Batman, the. No, never mind. That wasn't Gordon I was thinking of. That was Alfred, who is the uh, the former military. Yeah. And okay, a lot of, in a lot of respects, Alfred's always kind of given that, that former yeah. military background. But he definitely in uh, the Dark Knight Return, or the Dark Knight movie, you know, he becomes Commissioner Gordon in there because of his actions and because he basically beats the whole hell out of a few people in that movie. Which was uh, I was I was very happy to see that out of my Jim Gordon, um, you know he's not he's he's almost in a, in, in many ways Batman's equal, uh, you know but he he can't operate well, outside of the the lines where Batman right. Can. Actually, I mean I think because Batman has the luxury of the resources, the anonymity, you know he he works in the shadows and. Like Gordon has less to work with, and I think because his makes... battles are more day to day. Yeah, like you said, it's a Jim Gordon story. It, it's just a matter of of Bruce learning how to temper himself a little bit. Like I said, when he attacked that pimp at the beginning, he got stabbed in the leg by one of the one of the ladies of the evening. Like he wasn't even like the person he was trying to save attacked him. You know, and then a cop shows up and shoots him in the chest. And they're talking about, he hit an artery, I'm going to bleed out and die. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that didn't go well at all. You know, and then they, like, keep showing him, like, blacking out, coming to, blacking out, coming to. And it's like, he could have went at any moment. You know, that would have been a very short story. You know, his first appearance. And all he did was, like, he put on, like, uh, a, a cap and he fabricated like a false scar on his face just just like you know, okay this is a detail that someone's going to remember when they see this you know so this is pre-costume and that was almost his last outing right there at the right, start right yeah so good read um i don't think it's quite as good as dark knight returns but like i said you can definitely tell the two are linked due to miller's writing um kind of written in the same same way again a lot of the internal monologue things like that and there are a couple like i said nods to each book going back and forth so i i highly recommend if, if you like those setup stories you should definitely give the gotham city or want to read also i'm writing that down right now okay because it's like it's well before Batman exists, and it shows why Gotham goes to crap. I think you'd really enjoy it. 
it's written by Tom King, like it's new. It's like twenty two, twenty three. Okay. I think I well no, I'm thinking of the Neo Gotham Batman Beyond where he goes back and finds like old Gotham kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no that's something completely different. And this is pre Batman. This is it's really cool. It's like street level crime and things. Like I think you'd really like it. Yeah. And again, the whole purpose of this was kind of flesh out, you know, Batman. Give, give him some relatability. Like, his origin story was, you know, you don't want to mess with that. But they wanted to make the characters a little more... Not relatable is not the right word, but give him a little more context for the reader. So, You definitely made me want to go back and reread it. It's been a while. It's it won't take too long to get through. For sure, it's essential reading for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, Darren, thank you for uh, suggesting that one. Yeah, I can't believe we'd never gotten to that one before, but I'm glad it was in your hands. Absolutely. I mean, well, we've only you. been at this twelve years. Yeah, two hundred and six <laughs> episodes, and somehow we're just getting to the dark or the Batman right. Year One. <laughs> yeah, no idea how that happened. Nice, nicely done. All right. So right. That was uh, Batman Year One by uh, Frank Miller and Dave M. I will call him Dave M. It was eighty six, yeah. right, Gary? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, eighty six. Was when they decided they were going to do this. I don't know if that's when it actually was published, but that was the start of it. Thing is, nearly as old as I am. Oh, you shut up. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, the, the write up by Denny O'Neill was March of eighty eight, but eighty six was when uh DC decided to go ahead and do this. Very cool. That is Batman Week Year One. Well thank you, Gary. Fun as always, and again, just made me want to read it again. I should really read The Dark Knight as well. Especially now that I'm back into DC. Anyhow, right. Uh, so I guess a little bit later this month, Darren, you're going to do something with someone, myself or somebody else, about that uh, wonderful Indiana Jones game that is coming down the pipeline. I might even try to convince Gary to do it in like in five minutes, so we'll see what oh, happens. Well, there's, there's that. Um, well, it was up for a conversation. I don't know how much I'll have to give you. Fair enough. Have you ever played a the video game before? We'll be okay. Right. But otherwise, you can always follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. And from all of us Well, here, hold on a second. We're oh. teasing to the next episode. Wait, I am on one. Retro, and uh, I yes. will be doing... Are you ready for this, Phil? This is not a joke. This is what I'm doing. Okay. Chris Star, the Crystal Warrior from Marvel 1984. Wow. And... So strap in for that one, everyone. We're going to go I, from Batman Year One to Crystar the Crystal Warrior as only I can. I feel like it's going to be just as good. No, it will not. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those curiosities I've had for many a year. So That, I'm... Is, that is fair. Now well, you may wrap it up. Thank you. Yeah, until until then, because now I'm like completely. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be terrible. 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> I meant the book, not your review of it. I've never read it. It could be awesome. Who knows? That's true. Hey, we have remember, I went to read Atari Force completely um, looking for something because I had read so we had read so much that we all loved. I'm like, I gotta find something. I was reading it ironically. Let's be honest, right. and I ended up like just being this thing is freaking incredible. I still remember, like, John over at Carolyn Johns goes, yeah, they didn't have the Eisners back then, but that was one of the nominees for Best of the Year. And I'm like, get out of here, Atari Force? <laughs> I have to reread that at some point. It's got to have been 10 years by this point that I did that. Close to, yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, man. It was that long ago. Was, well, I did, because yeah. there was, uh, so there was the, the monthly, but there was one before that, so I did... The monthly, not realizing that there was something that preceded it, and a couple years after that, I did that one. That wasn't that long ago. Okay. I think it was right before you joined Gary. But there was what one. What was the one that you did that there were like three, like legitimate, like tangible items? Sword Quest. Sword Quest. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. And of. I did. Right, I did. I, I piggybacked the original run of Atari Force onto that. I think I did. On to that one. Yeah, because they came with Maybe that's why I'm connecting the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. I'm not yeah. completely dumb. I might have to force you guys to read Atari Force. Yeah, you, you've, you've mentioned this before. It's it's possible. I'm down for it. You, I'm you, excited to hear you, that. You have, you have preached it for a while, so... All right. Well, anyhow... That is coming down the pipeline next month, and there should be some pop-ups in between. But until then, enjoy your comics.